0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about things related to returning to the workplace that a lot of us will be uh, yeah ing about. There is a lot of information about workplaces and locations to work from and it is somewhat confusing, baffling, and even confounding. And I will get to that, but first a few thoughts on returning to the workplace and what we can feel as being a little irksome. First, when you enter the building, you push the door open with your mighty hand and enter. While well, the person in front of you or next to you who looks fit and able weakly puts their entire body weight against the door and the air pressure from the HVAC in the lobby resists ever so slightly but they are exhausted after opening the door just wide enough so that they can slip in. Weak? Lazy? Hungover? What? This is not Castle Keep. It's an office building. Open the door like a big boy or a big girl. Oh, yeah. Blocking elevators. Have you experienced this? Someone stands in front of a closed elevator door waiting for the elevator car on the opposite side of the lobby to open. So they block the door so no one can get in or out of the elevator. And they act as if they need some sort of running leap to jump across some giant chasm to get in the car. No. Just stand to the side and wait patiently like a big boy or a big girl. Oh, yeah. Exiting the subway. And the person in front of you gets as far as two steps up the stairs to exit when you suddenly stop altogether because they have now decided to access their mobile device as if anybody believes for one second that anybody riding the subway has some sort of critical need to use their phone instead of just walking up the stairs and then stepping to the side to get out of everybody's way, like a big boy or a big girl. Oh, yeah. And then getting on an elevator with someone who is having a loud mobile phone conversation, or better yet, has the temerity to get on a crowded elevator while in a group call or meeting and gestures for everybody in the car to keep quiet for their important call. Oh, yeah. Going into the break room and the two things that I will never understand are sleeves of cups for coffee and other beverages that are standing on the counter and one person rips open the plastic covering and takes one cup, leaving the rest of the cups more difficult to retrieve because you now need to reach into the wrapping and pull instead of simply taking the wrapping off and discarding so everybody can see what a big boy or big girl you are. The same thing with paper plates. One person tears open the wrapping and pulls out a plate or 20 and leaves the plastic wrapping in place instead of just taking it off and discarding it so everybody can use it with ease and see what a big boy or big girl you are. Oh, yeah. Or better yet, people putting half-eaten lunches in the break room refrigerator, all covered in sticky gunk, and I don't know if they believe they are contributing to a food museum, or they believe the food will magically grow back, or will be tastier, or uncontaminated after several days and not rot, decompose, or stink. When you need to access the fridge and your business attire stained because your work shirt touched the sticky mess, but now you need to do some remedial cleaning and make sure the dry cleaner knows the spot because someone decided that half of a salad or part of a sandwich should take up space on a shelf that they will never retrieve or perform any responsible, dutiful maintenance, even if just to clean up after themselves. And they left sticky residue on the packaging. So that means the sticky residue is also on the handle and their unwashed hands. Oh yeah. Similarly, People ripping open the paper packaging for a ream of printer paper and only taking out what they need instead of tearing open the entire ream, discarding the packaging, and simply placing all of the paper in a tray, like a big boy or a big girl. Oh yeah. Leaving most of the paper or cups or plates inside the wrapping is not helping. I'm not even going to get into eating other people's lunches, which is totally bizarre to me on a number of levels. Some people will be swiping dry erase markers from whiteboards, even worse, blunting them, so that you can't make a fine line or a detailed drawing on the whiteboard. Walking away after disconnecting the AV setups and not leaving the room on schedule while a group hovers outside the room, so some blowhard can cogitate in front of a captive audience. Oh, yeah. Going through the desk of a departed coworker to look for something they might have left in their drawers, such as a file or a peripheral you might need, and seeing all the gross things that they stuffed in there, as well as the unreal amount of those little condiment packets and paper napkins some even used. Ew! Sometimes you have to do that. Oh, Yeah. People just walking up to you and they start talking before you can even comprehend that they are there and you need to stop whatever train of thought you were on in order to deal with them because their hair is on fire. You can't impatiently butt it to somebody while they're on a Zoom call. The old saw about everybody having that one crazy neighbor. So if you don't have a crazy neighbor, you are the crazy neighbor, but at the office. If you don't complain about how gross other people are, you are the grossest and are oblivious to how disgusting you are. I personally feel that people want to go to the office, in spite of all that. Get out of the house. I get the feeling that a lot of people who commute are wary of resuming that potentially dangerous, tedious, time-sucking component of their workweek routine, but they can pick up something They needed to buy, they can grab a beer on the way home, go to an after-work party, and stop and see some sort of attraction on their way back to wherever they came from to enhance their experience. Something to talk about when they get home. Share it on social media. Keeping your interpersonal skills sharp in a face-to-face setting involves more than a Zoom call or any video chat. You sense people's meanings or subtext. You have a better understanding from their body language, unspoken communication, eye contact, stance, etc. Their tone is shifted because they are in a somewhat mutually level playing ground as opposed to the cozy confines of a home office. And they might be temporarily free from domestic distractions, but there is a bit of an acid test when they have to comport themselves with the workplace distractions that they don't usually have at home. Then there is also the incessant daily debate over what to have for dinner because that dictates what you will have for lunch or the other way around for many people. Anyway, especially those of us in relationships. Calls or texts often consist of something to the effect of what do you want to have for dinner? Well, we had that two nights ago. I just finished pizza. I had a burger yesterday. Yes, I know I'm supposed to eat salad. Can we just focus on dinner? What do we have? You want to go out? Where? Okay, so in or out? Oh, yeah. I'll pick something up on the way home. Although we complain, we love that. Sometimes a little distance, both emotionally and physically, and interaction with different personalities is a refreshing change. It expands your breadth of experience, tempers your demeanor, and you can provide greater insight into what makes others tick, and possibly oneself as well. They need to reestablish define and refine their professional identities. And looking sharp, responding to stimulus, and stimulating others while working towards a goal in a group setting adds dash and excitement into our lives. Getting out of the house is also something that people love to do. Strutting when you succeed is a basic desire, or at least I would like to think so. The day-to-day experiences people have are quite strong indicators of how people feel they are doing not that they are the same, and or can be equivocated with the pursuit of abstracts and then plans that are executed with any finesse and style and can be viewed in a group as accomplishments to crow about. Award ceremonies and celebrations afterwards are also ingrained into people or are they outgrowths of human nature? I think it is a combination, but based on intrinsic desires and basic needs. Motivation needs to be encouraged And the best way to encourage motivation is to reward people for their efforts and champion their results. The old carrot on the stick. I do think people get a sense of where they fit, you know, their personal water level, when they are in a work setting. I think we also give each other a wider berth to be ourselves when we have to adapt to and adjust to our surroundings. An unscientific poll from LinkedIn reported that remote work is shaping cities as workers flock to places with more open space. But what happens post-pandemic? Will workers want to return to the office or keep working from home? The results, which were ongoing and and completely unscientific, at that point said 11% wanted to be in the office, 25% wanted to work from home, 62% wanted to flex between the home and office, and 2% were other. LinkedIn also had an article about America's abandoning downtown, mostly New York City Houston, Dallas, and Austin, Texas, to relocate where there was more open space amid the pandemic. USPS data through mid-September showed the most popular state destinations are, in descending order, New Jersey, South Carolina, Maryland, Connecticut, and Arizona. The vast majority of moves were also within counties as people sought to remain in the same metro area. Prices are climbing in the counties outside major metro areas, with Fairfield, Connecticut, leading on a 33% jump in September from a year earlier. I've been to Fairfield, Connecticut, and it is no slum. New home starts also jumped in September, with single-family house construction ramping the most in 13 years. Much has changed during the pandemic, including where we work and, as it turns out, where we live. ULI and PwC released the annual Emerging Trends in Real Estate Reports recently. It is one of the industry's most highly anticipated publications. According to the report, residents and companies moving from big cities to secondary markets and suburbs is likely to be one of the biggest trends to come out of the pandemic. Clarion Partners Managing Director One Payne, speaking on the ULI fall meeting panel that introduced the report, said her firm's, Research shows the shift to the suburbs was taking place before the pandemic. Millennials are getting older. They're at childbearing age. They want to live beyond 600 square feet in the city. I did a pod earlier this year about how millennials in cities wanted to stay put, rent, and could not afford to buy houses. How things have changed since then. Diversity Inc. reported that half of employees working at home feel isolated. And there is a communication trick. It's called the rule of seven. Repeat the same message over and over seven times and make people feel like they belong. There was an article on LinkedIn saying, you may never work in an office again. How does that make you feel? Atlassian work futurist Dominic Price sent his boss a selfie from the beach with a caption. I'm not going to apologize for this. In the photo, he's smiling, relaxing, obviously not working. And that's okay because the world of work has changed. The pandemic has nudged many businesses into a model that embraces flexibility, whether it's to allow for caregivers to work regular hours or letting those who struggle with a commute to work remotely, or in the case of Price, those who would rather nail five hours of work on a rainy Sunday and then go to the beach on a workday. So what does that mean for job seekers? Price says it's a good time to ask yourself, what do I need to thrive? He tells LinkedIn the answer may not be a 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. job at an office, but then again... Many people do crave the social aspects of a workplace. The quote is, It's not just extroverts versus introverts. A lot of people get energy and distraction and collaboration from being in the company of others. Humans are very social beings. Which is what I think. New Atlassian Global Research found that since the pandemic began... 77% of Australians missed the energy of their workplace compared with a global average of less than 50%. When it came to whether working from home was effective, 68% of Australians reported improved job satisfaction, while 68% of people thought their team actually worked better together. Price says there's still a lot of work to do to create a new normal, but that it's clear many new ways of working brought about by the pandemic are here to stay. Patrick McGuin in the New York Times wrote on October 26, 2020, New York, whose diversified economy had fueled unparalleled job growth in recent years, is now facing a bigger challenge in recovering from the pandemic than almost any other major city in the country. More than one million residents are out of work, and the unemployment rate is nearly double the national average. The city tried to insulate itself from major downturns by shifting from tying its fortunes to the rise and fall of Wall Street. A thriving tech sector, a booming real estate industry, and waves of international tourists helped Broadway hotels and restaurants prosper. But now, as the virus surges again in the region, tourists are still staying away, and any hope that workers would refill the city's office towers and support its businesses before the end of the year is fading. As a result, New York's recovery is very likely to be slow and protracted, economists said. This is an event that struck right at the heart of New York's comparative advantages, said Mark Sandy, chief economist for Moody's Analytics. Being globally oriented, being stacked up in skyscrapers and packed together in stadiums, the very thing that made New York New York. Was undermined by the pandemic. Mr. Zandi said that he expected that it would take New York about two years longer than the rest of the country to recover from all the economic losses suffered during the pandemic. It's going to be a long slog that will last into 2023 for the nation and possibly until 2025 for New York City, he said. Those losses are concentrated in five key industries. Restaurants, hotels, the arts, transportation, and building services. A lot of those things which we had celebrated as having helped to diversify the city's economy in the COVID economy turned out to be big liabilities, he said. The cratering of the local economy is on stark display along many Manhattan blocks where offices are mostly empty. Streets are lined with shuttered stores and restaurants and normally bustling gathering spots like Bryant Park are eerily quiet the city's struggle to dig out of its financial hole and the looming possibility of major cuts to services and programs will likely become a dominant issue in next year's mayoral election with voters judging candidates on their economic blueprints. Still, a top city official, Vicki Bean, the deputy mayor for Housing and Economic Development, disagreed with the economist's projections, saying the city was well positioned to roar back once fears of the virus subside. Of course she says this. Mayor Bill de Blasio has placed an emphasis on public health and reopening schools safely to pave the way for an economic rebound, she said. And the factors that have made the city a draw for employers, like an educated and skilled workforce, remain firmly in place. This administration and the previous administration worked very hard to diversify the economy. The ingenuity we have, the talent base we have, is what attracts more talent to the city and also attracts employers. The New York City Marathon was canceled. Runners ran the course anyway. Ms. Bean said she expected the city's office buildings to refill with workers and visitors to flock to restaurants and theaters. Well, of course she does. When tourism returns, people will want to come here, she said. I'm hearing a lot of pent-up demand to come back, but people need things to be safe and lively. Tourist-dependent businesses, however, appeared to be in for a prolonged downturn with no signs yet that visitors are coming to New York in significant numbers. The managers of some office buildings recalled their staffs of cleaners and security agents in recent weeks anticipating a return of office workers as the worst of the outbreak eased. But just a fraction have trickled back, and some big tech companies like Google have told employees to work from home until next summer. Managers of large office buildings say that only about 15% of their tenants have returned by early fall, said Dennis Johnston, a vice president of local 32BJ of the Service Employees International Union, which represents 23,000 commercial building cleaners in the city. Even a professional address as prestigious as the Empire State Building is having trouble attracting tenants back. The 102-story building laid off workers in late summer after calling them back from furlough, said a utility porter who has worked there for more than seven years. He said he hoped to go back to work soon, but was in line behind several colleagues who had seniority over him. Since last spring, he has been collecting unemployment benefits, which has provided enough to cover his bills. He missed the usual swirl of excitement around the building, which normally draws lines of tourists from dawn until late at night. It's getting kind of boring being at home in the east village he said new york has so many big buildings that staffing them is a significant source of jobs last year about 43000 people including lobby agents elevator operators cleaners and porters worked in commercial and residential buildings even though most buildings require at least a skeletal staff to operate and maintain systems like air conditioning building services has suffered greater losses than most categories of jobs. In September, jobs were down almost 35% from a year before, a decline of 14,400 positions. The drop is still far smaller than the devastation suffered by businesses that depend on tourists like restaurants, hotels, and Broadway theaters, which will now be closed at least through May 30th. The performing arts and spectator sports have lost more than two-thirds of their jobs. More than 165,000 jobs have been lost in restaurants, bars, and hotels. Those three industries are more concentrated in New York than most other cities, contributing to its disproportionate share of the nation's job losses, said Mr. Zandi, the chief economist of Moody's. New York depends on industries that are being crushed by the pandemic, he said. It's a global city, and the global economy is shut down. Among the 51 largest metropolitan areas in the country, only two, Las Vegas and Los Angeles, had higher unemployment rates in August than New York, according to the Federal Department of Labor. The city's official unemployment rate in September was 14.1%, compared with a national rate that dropped from 8.4% to 7.9% in August. The effect on the city's economy has been historic. Before the virus, New York was enjoying its longest expansion on record, by far. The city had gained nearly 1 million jobs in a period of economic growth that lasted more than 10 years. Big tech, including Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple, collectively employs 22,000 people in New York and, in what has been a small dose of good news for the city, has hired thousands of workers this year despite the pandemic. Still, by the end of summer, the city had regained only about 30% of the payroll jobs lost in March and April. It's pretty hard to get around the fact that we're still going to be down around 500 to 600,000 jobs at the end of the year, Mr. Parrott said, adding that the losses include self-employed. One of them might be Barbara Bonham's job cleaning bathrooms in an office tower across Fifth Avenue from Trump Tower. After millions of lower-paid workers lost their jobs across the retail, restaurant, and hospitality sectors early in the pandemic, Job cuts are now slowly hitting higher-paid office workers, too, CNN reports. ExxonMobil, Chevron, Charles Schwab, Raytheon, Allstate, Wells Fargo, and Salesforce are among the companies to announce white-collar job layoffs in a trend that could have widespread economic impacts. While some of the moves are a result of mergers, in many cases, companies are just reassessing their current climate and cutting back, says CNN. Too many generals and not enough soldiers. Projections tell us that there is not only a current uncontrolled spread of COVID across most of the U.S., but rural hospitals are faring terribly, unresourced, overcrowded, and understaffed. The projections note that we are in the midst of a surge that is supposed to peak sometime in mid-February. This is horrible And we need to take stronger precautions as fatigue has set in and a cavalier disposition has taken hold over many people, even though so very many people rely on jobs that put them in danger of contracting COVID. Many of these same people are out of work because a lot of the things that people do that are gross are not being done. The detritus and wake of destruction that people leave is simply not there and is unlikely to return in any meaningful form soon there are also very many businesses that have closed up shop. I have heard anecdotal stories about entire firms being scraped to the walls and sold off for salvage. All those firms that relied on co-working space because they otherwise could not afford to do business are either dead, in limbo, or have miraculously found a way to prosper in spite of the hellacious circumstances. I have noticed quite a few co-working spaces that have gone out of business altogether, so I'm curious... As to how anyone feels about sharing common spaces with strangers, let alone people you know and interact with regularly, often outside the confines of a workplace setting. This is all so very weird. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kiddies say, peace out.